Well, we've been looking through the summer at call stories. We've got this one this week and then another one next week. Um, then we're going to be sort of taking a little bit of time to look at what it means to be a Christian and, and um, some specifics about how to, how to pray and how to read your Bible and some of that. And then very excited in October. Uh, October is the 500-year anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation. It was 500 years ago that Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the wall of the church at Wittenberg that got all this Reformation started. And so it's a big part of our heritage. We're going to explore that a little bit through October. So some fun preaching coming up, and I'm excited to finish uh, this Call Stories series. I've had a lot of fun with it. I've been preaching to myself and to you. Uh, as I think through and as we explore together what it means to hear God's leading in our lives and follow it. And if you've missed any, you can always uh, catch those online, the websites in the, in the bulletin. Um, we're switching gears a little bit. We're going to the story of Timothy. And we've been reading all these really great stories about a burning bush and a um, political intrigue and a, a vision up in heaven. And when we get to the story of Timothy, what we find is a rather, well, boring, normal story. Not much of a story at all, really. Just ordinary. See, the reality is most of the time, God's call is not miraculous. God's call is not often going to be fire and earthquake and all. It's just going to be simple. Leading, prompting, intuition. And so we're going to take a look at Timothy and his rather boring, normal, and simple calling. To do so, we're going to look at the books of First and Second Timothy, a couple of verses out of each. And uh, in doing so, we're making a couple of shifts from the last few sermons. Number one, we're switching to the New Testament. So while in the Old Testament, the focus is on the nation of Israel and on being a, the people of God, once we shift to the New Testament, the focus really turns to Jesus. And the faith really moves past the Jewish people, and a lot of the Christians are still Jewish at this time, but it also moves to a, lot of, to a sort of a wider view. So you've got to know that as we're reading it. Second, you have to understand for our study today that you're, we're reading a letter. So we've been reading books of the Bible that are written more as stories, but here you're reading someone's mail. You're reading somebody's mail, Okay. Paul wrote a number of letters in his day, a number of churches that he was ministering to, and he wrote several personal letters that we have in the Bible. Timothy, a couple to Timothy, one to Titus, and one to Philemon. And if you think about reading someone's letter, you, to understand a letter, you have to know the people involved, right? You have to know the author, and you have to know the person that you're writing to, okay? Otherwise, you're not going to understand the context of what they're reading, but also... You've got to understand a little bit the timing, okay? Because if you and I wrote letters now, and then we, if we had written letters 20 years ago, they would have been very different letters because we're very different people, and our relationships change, and our lives change. And so you've got to know both who's writing, who they're writing to, and when the writing is happening. So let's start with Paul. We're going to take a look at Paul's story, Paul's story next week to finish this series. But Paul is a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee, okay? Those people that are always fighting with Jesus during, during Jesus' life. Paul's one of those guys, okay? He's got two names, Paul and Saul. Um, one is his Jewish name. One is his Roman name. 
And Paul is going around and he's killing Christians. He's persecuting Christians. He's not himself killing. A Pharisee would never kill someone like that. But he goes around and he's stirring up crowds to pursue the Christians and to kill them. In fact, when the first martyr in the book of Acts is killed, Stephen is stoned. Paul stands there and holds everyone's coats. Watches out for everybody's belongings while the crowd um, pursues him. uh, Or stones Stephen. But God calls Paul in a miraculous way. We're going to look at next week. And Paul begins to, fu- to travel around and be really the first missionary. And he travels to a place and he goes into that town and he'll speak to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. And he'll try to start a church in all these different communities. But he travels, you understand? So he'll be in a place for a couple of years, get a church started, train leaders up, and then I'll move on to the next place. And I'll move on to the next place. And as he's going then... He has these, these churches that he's ministering to, and he writes them letters, takes care of them. At the same time, he has people he travels with. There was this guy named Barnabas, who was older than Paul and sort of mentored Paul, but then they split company. He travels with a person named Silas. And then he always liked to take a younger Christian along, some young leader with him. It was a guy named John Mark at first. John Mark wrote the book of Mark. And was really, after his time with Paul, ended up spending some time with Peter. Then there was a guy named Titus. And then this man that this letter is to, Timothy. Timothy is from Lystra, present day Turkey. His mother was Jewish, but his father was not. And Paul, on his first of these missionary journeys, goes there. And that's when his mother probably is saved. Perhaps Timothy is too. And Timothy, though he's young, he's picked out as a very good leader, right? A very good person, a very good Christian, somebody to look up to even though he's young. And he's encouraged to kind of go with, to to grow and to to learn and to eventually travel with Paul. Paul sends him to encourage the church at Thessalonica. He also sends him to Corinth, which is a really bad, crazy uh, uh, drama church in the New Testament. Timothy does not do real well there. It's, it's eventually Titus goes there. And at the time of the letters of Timothy, he's pastoring in Ephesus. So he's been traveling, but he's a little more local now in Ephesus. Paul has been imprisoned, but he's then released. But, but because he's in prison, he had all these travel plans. He wanted to go see all these churches he planted, all these people he knew. But because he was in prison, he couldn't. So he writes letters to a lot of the churches to say, I wish I could be there. I hope you're encouraged. I hope to be there soon. Then Paul is arrested again, and this time on trial for his life. So he stays in for a long time, not sure if he's going to get out. And that's when he writes his second letter to Timothy to say, I'm not sure what's going to happen here, but he writes to encourage Timothy. So let's try to piece together a little bit of Timothy's call story from these letters. We're going to start with 2 Timothy starting in chapter 1, verse 3. Then we're going to go back and pick up a little bit in 1 Timothy. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
For this reason, I, am, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to, to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through, uh, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that he has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells with us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Reading of God's Word. To begin with, notice the tenderness of this writing. Paul isn't just writing to any church leader. He's writing to a son. Somebody he cares about. Somebody he loves. Somebody he's invested in. He's praying for him. Remembering his tears. Reflecting on how Timothy got to that point. And, and we don't get a full picture of the story per se. But there, there's no moment where the burning bush happens. But rather, Timothy seems to have grown up in the faith. His grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were Jews who became believers in Christ. But his father was a Gentile. And his mother and his grandmother trained him up in the faith. He was well respected in that community. And at some point, it appears, the church laid hands on him. Which is, it sounds like a weird thing. We do it every once in a while, but I always have to explain it. Okay? But, but laying hands on it, is, it involves two things. Number one, it involves affirmation. So if Timothy is feeling like maybe he's a leader of the church, by laying hands on him is saying, yeah, we affirm what you're being called to do. And that is such an important part of the call process. But also there's a blessing. There, there's a gift giving. And apparently Timothy gets some kind of spiritual gift here. Maybe it's of preaching, teaching, maybe of healings. A miracles, a prophecy. We don't know what the gift is, but he has this gift. We also know from Acts 16 that because he was half Jewish and half Gentile, um, people were unsure about him in the church. So he was actually willing, and Paul had him circumcised because the Jews were all very serious about that. Like you, you, you couldn't be a, a Christian and you, if you had, you had to become Jewish, you had to become circumcised. So we already know, right, that Timothy is pretty committed to the cause. You know what I mean? If you're willing to go through that surgery before you have, as an adult, before you have the, the, the anesthetics that we have now, he's pretty committed. He's willing to do that because he's wanting to be faithful to what's going on. So why does Paul write Timothy now? Well, he's trying to encourage Timothy. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we can start to piece it together. Whenever you read the Bible and somebody says, be of good courage, or fear not, or don't do this, 
There's a reason for that. And the reason is normally somebody did that. The normal reason is somebody needs to hear that. If, if an angel says, don't be afraid, guess what people are probably feeling? Afraid. And so Paul writes to Timothy and tries to encourage him and say, be not afraid or be not ashamed. Guess what? Timothy's probably kind of afraid. And he's probably kind of ashamed. First, Paul encourages Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. This implies that God gives us gifts. Listen to this. God gives us gifts and abilities and things that we care about, but that we have responsibility to fan those gifts into a strength, to into a flame. God gives you gifts, and if you just let them sit there, they don't burn. They don't do anything. In fact, I think I've seen this in people's lives that eventually it's like a log on a fire that gets pulled away from the rest of the logs and eventually the fire goes out. Paul says, Timothy, you got good stuff. You got good stuff passed on from your mother and your grandmother. You got good stuff given to you by the church. What have you done to fan that into a flame? What have you done to build that fire up inside of you? Next, Paul says not to be ashamed because he says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We're not totally sure why Timothy is afraid or he is ashamed, but you can imagine. You can imagine what people would say that he followed a crucified Lord. Okay, to the Gentiles, to the people in the Roman Empire, they had seen crucifixions before. Why would you follow someone who had died? Why would you follow somebody who wasn't strong enough to fight back against the Romans? Now, your leader that trained you, that mentored you, Paul, is in prison. Okay? It's not a family good, very good family tree, right? Crucified Lord, an imprisoned leader. Of course, Timothy started to get ashamed. Rumors are spreading. People are talking. Why would you follow this faith? Why would you follow this persecution? So many people don't want to be humbled. They want to follow what's strong. And for some, the Christian faith really is a stumbling block for that very reason. It's still true today. So Paul reminds Timothy of the gospel message, how the life and death and resurrection of Jesus are so beautiful and inspiring. Paul says, this is a message worth suffering for. Paul's not ashamed. And if Paul says he's not ashamed, look, he's the one in prison, right? He's the one in prison, and he's really not sure in this second letter that he's ever getting out. He's really not sure that he's ever getting out of prison again. And if he says, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed of this. This is worth suffering for. Timothy needs to hear that. Timothy needs to follow in the pattern of his sound words. I love that phrase of Paul. Follow in the pattern of my sound words. Okay? So often when we get anxious, when we get worried, when we get ashamed, we don't follow sound words. We listen to words that feed into our fears. Paul says, I don't know what voices you're listening to over there, but you better listen to my voice, a sound voice. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Guard that thing which has been deposited in you. I love that image, deposited, invested. This church, this, 
family of yours, your grandmother, your mother invested in you. They deposited something in you in your childhood. Don't go away from that. Find that. Cling to that. Fan that into a flame. Now, let's go back to the first letter of Timothy, chapter 4 and verse 6. Because we can get a little bit of a different glimpse, a little more glimpse as to what's going on in Timothy's world. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the exa- the belie- for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The reading of God's Word. Timothy has been trained up in the faith and in in the doctrine. But Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, the assumption is Timothy has the ability to hold on to these gifts. He can keep them and not share them with anybody else. And Paul says you can't do that. There's at least a chance or a possibility you're going to do that and you can't do that. So perhaps he's getting caught up. Paul seems to think he's getting caught up in these myths. It says irreverent, silly myths. And we don't know what that is. Maybe it's some kind of false teaching. Maybe it's other kind of spiritual tales. Maybe it's some other kind of religion in the community that people are preaching sort of against Timothy. And Timothy's got to figure out what's the truth in the middle of that. Timothy is supposed to be training himself so he doesn't get caught up in these silly myths. The Greek word for training is gymnazo. Gymnazo. Okay, what does that sound like? Gymnastics or gymnasium. Right, it's the same word. To train. Okay, to train, to build up your body. Timothy needs not just physical exercise, he needs spiritual exercise. He needs to be training himself, practicing his faith, immersing himself in the things of God. Otherwise, he's not going to be able to persist. He's not going to be able to keep going. Paul kind of makes this metaphor elsewhere, that, that it's like a marathon. It's like running a race. And if you're not training... If you're not prepping for the race, of course you're going to have trouble persisting. Of course you're going to have trouble keeping going because you didn't train. None of you would want to go out and run a marathon right now if you haven't been training for it. You die. You can't do that. You got to train. You got to prepare. Paul says you got to spiritually prepare too. You got to be spiritually training for the things. 
And in the middle of this, Paul tells Timothy not to let anyone despise him because of his youth. He's young. He's having trouble persisting. Maybe people are looking down on him because he's young. Perhaps because he's young, he's wavering a little bit on his convictions, wondering about whether he's doing the right thing, nervous about being persecuted for his faith, the way Paul is now in prison. Maybe false teachers are seizing this opportunity in this wavering of Timothy. And Paul writes to encourage him. I have often personally identified with Timothy. This for me personally, I think as a, as a young man, I was um, kind of pegged a little bit for leadership in the church, expected to grow in my faith, and that hasn't always been easy for me. It hasn't always been easy to be a young pastor, um, to try to give wisdom and teaching uh, when I'm young. I remember even starting here, I was a student pastor. That was like my second term of seminary. I hadn't really been trained for this at all. And so I've often felt connected somehow to Timothy. I've also felt connected because my story's kind of boring. Anybody else ever felt this way before? You ever hear a great testimony of somebody who was like on drugs and God saved them or witnessed some kind of violence or got saved from... I've just kind of always been good, I guess. You know what I mean? And I've always felt kind of ashamed of that. Kind of like, ah, I wish I had a cooler story. About, all my, about the only thing I did to rebel in college, I started swearing and smoking cigars. And I'm a pastor and I still do both those things. So what are you going to do? I've always just connected with the story of Timothy. And I think for many of us it's true, right? Many of us don't have this miraculous story. We don't have a burning bush experience. And yet, think about this. The God of the universe has made some kind of call on our lives. Called us to be here, called us to be certain things, called us to be in certain opportunities. What's boring about that? What's boring about the God of the universe reaching down and caring about your life? Kind of nudging you in certain directions. It's not a burning bush. It's still a God of the universe leading us, guiding us. So let me reflect a little bit on just just a few points on this story of Timothy. And maybe a little bit of advice from my story too. First of all, understand that God can work in big ways. He can work in burning bushes. You might have a vision someday or lightning, bam, hits you. But God often works in little ways. Just because God works in little ways and little nudges and little promptings over time doesn't mean it's not God working. It doesn't mean it's not valuable. Next, be thankful. Because a lot of us had parents and grandparents that deposited a faith in us. We had a church, we had a Sunday school teacher, we had a pastor along the way that invested in us, deposited in us something of this faith. Be thankful. Some of us have to remember those people, but some of us could call them later and thank them. If you had that, Fan it into the flame. Exercise your faith. Read your Bible. Listen, if this hour on Sunday morning is the only training you're doing in your faith, you're not in very good spiritual shape. And I've seen too many people 
who have very difficult things come along in their lives and suddenly they're going through all this grief and they're going through a marathon spiritually and they haven't trained for it. You train for it. And not just an hour. You train, you fan into flame this faith that's inside of you. Now, if you didn't have those parents, you didn't have those grandparents, those spiritual mentors in your life, you need those. You need those. Find your spiritual parents, your spiritual grandparents. Find somebody that you can listen to, that you can get advice from. If you are a parent and grandparent, let me ask you an important question. What kind of deposit are you giving to your kids and your grandkids? In what way are you not or are you depositing the faith in them? Okay, For Timothy, he's wavering in his adult life a little bit here. But what's holding on to him is what his parents, what his mother and his grandmother did for him when he was a child. So what are you doing for your kids and for your grandkids to deposit the faith in their lives? If God has led you to do something, then persist. We all get afraid like Timothy. We all get ashamed. We all question. We all follow wrong things. We get into silly myths in our own lives all the time. Persist. It's okay to get discouraged. It's okay to get down. It's not okay to stop. Keep going. And finally, remember to keep the center of your life on this amazing work of Christ. This is what Paul, in both these letters, brings Timothy back to. Timothy, remember what Jesus did for you. That is worth suffering for. That is worth persisting for. That is worth training for. Come back again and again and again to the love and to the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. Cling to that. Let us pray. Lord, we are so aware that we do falter and we stumble and we get ashamed and we get afraid and we don't train but we want to so give us strength help us to hear your calling and obey in Jesus name Amen